It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to This Moment Podcast. You know, September has really been an intense month. In Sweden, the beginning of it kind of felt like everything was going back to some weird form of normalcy but now just three weeks later it seems the country and the continent is bracing for that second wave it truly has been and still is a hell of a year at the outset of this pandemic myself and my dear brother marcus samuelson decided to start this moment an attempt to get some sort of an emotional foothold in all this and to uplift and inspire each other in a time when it's so easy to fall into dystopic visions of an oncoming or even ongoing collapse of everything we know. Luckily, there is hope. The activism, the radical change being called for, and the amount of voices expressing new visions are all around us. Marcus and I will continue to try and present to you as many inspirational voices that we can. So this week, you're going to hear an interview that Marcus did with food activist and farmer Karen Washington. Check it out. My history was stolen from me. As a young child growing up, if I was to say I was a farmer, it was like, what? You doing slave work? You working for the master? And so as an adult, when I realized the true history of this country is that why were we brought here? We weren't brought here because we were dumb, we were strong. We were brought here because of our knowledge of agriculture. Seeds in our hair. We were the ones that planted the food that you're eating now. We were the ones that did the crop rotation, the irrigation. We were the ones that developed the tools that you see today. And so let's get the history correct so that when we talk about America, we will talk about the experience of the black experience as part of the American experience, which you see happening now. So I am super, super excited today because today we have an icon in the activist space, and but also in terms of urban farming. And when you think about the Bronx, for me, I always think about the Bronx in terms of hip hop and graffiti. But because of Karen Washington, you also need to think about it in terms of farming. So welcome to this moment, Karen. How are you? Thank you, Marcus, for having me. I'm in the boogie down Bronx today. Yes, 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 yes. So tell me, tell us how, how did you get into farming? Uh, why did it become your life passion? Well, I always tell this story because I didn't come from a farming background. My parents weren't farmers. My grandparents weren't farmers. 
I wasn't a healthcare professional as a physical therapist, so I saw the relationship between food and health uh, with my patients. But it wasn't until 1985 when I moved to the Bronx and I had a big backyard. I had two, really three decisions to make, either cement it, put a lawn on it, or grow food. And I decided by reading books, to grow food, and it was a tomato that rocked my world. And you didn't even like tomatoes at that point, right? Tomatoes were bland, they were pink, and my relationship with tomato was that it was grown in a supermarket. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. So at this moment of Black Lives Matters, activism is obviously at the height, at least over the last five years or so. You've been an activist all your life. How do you see this movement? What do you think about what's happening right now? Well, you know, first of all, hello, folks. 400 years, all of a sudden, Black Lives Matter. All of a sudden, Epiphany happened. You know, we've been in the trenches, for me, all my life, all my life, trying to get people to understand the, the accomplishments, the participation, the true history of the Black experience in this country. And for so long, it's been forgotten. And so... um. So sorry that tragedy, tragedy, time after time has to bring it to the forefront that Black Lives Matter, the Black experience in this country, and the fact that if we are true Americans, we just want to be able to have our history corrected and written so that we as Americans have some sort of participation in the development of this great country. If you think about this movement, it's actually, Black Lives Matter was started by three strong Black women. A lot of this movement is led by women. Does that change the movement or is she just, you know, it is what it is? What, is there a difference in that or tell us a little bit what you see? Well, you know, I come from the shoulders of strong black women and I think mm-hmm. history will tell you, even in, even in farming and food, food, if you look on the global spectrum of food, the majority of people out there are women who are farmers, but we've never yeah. gotten the credit. And so I think in the world, the word of activism, women are definitely at the forefront. And I'm glad that we're finally starting to get that credit. You taught me a phrase, and I start to see this phrase now. And you taught me this about 10 years ago. What is food apartheid versus food desert? Can you please explain to us what this is? Thank you so much for asking me, Marcus, because when I first heard the term food deserts, and an S to it is desserts. When I first uh, heard the term food desert, it was like, wait a second. I had to call all my friends in Oakland and Philly and Baltimore, and I'm saying, folks, we live in a desert? The people in the desert will tell you they have food. They can grow things. And so for an outsider to use that term to say it's really in, in, in um in communities that don't have access to food, I tell people, oh yeah, we got access to food. We got the junk food. We got the processed food. We got the fast food. We don't have healthy, we don't have healthy food options. And so the reason why I coined the term food apartheid is because I wanted people to start recognizing the fact that food, especially with black and brown communities, is based on race is based on demographics, is based on economics, and start having those hardcore conversations that we refuse to have time and time again. So now when you say the word food apartheid versus food desert, everyone's ears perks up. Yes, yes, yes. When you were coming to the Bronx in 85, it was also the height of hip-hop at that point was basically 10 years old. It was in the beginning, but is there a link where hip hop and farming meets? Is that a is there a similarity? 
of course, because they're all point of disrupting the system. You know, the, the hip hop movement is, 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 our, is our battle cry. And the fact of urban agriculture here in the Bronx, that's our battle cry in terms of tearing down the, 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 the politics around food and farming for us. It's about survival. The reason why we farm here in the Bronx and in other low-income neighborhoods and neighbors of color is because we don't get that access to healthy food in our grocery stores. We don't have that history around where food comes from. We don't have that culture when it comes to food, which we need to discuss because when you look at the word agriculture, time and time what is missing is the cultural aspect around food. And that's what you get when you do community garden and urban farming in, in, in urban areas throughout this country. You spoke about, you know, having links to Oakland and so on. Are there other urban areas that your community as urban farmers are partnering with? Are you, is there an organization? Tell us about, if somebody wants to find out about urban farming and want to start something in their community, where should they go and who should they speak to? Well, the thing about it, 10 years ago, Marcus, as you know, we started the first urban agriculture, it's called BUGS, the mm-hmm. first um, conference for both urban and rural farmers, unheard of because most of the conferences center around a white narrative. And so we felt that it's time for us to have a conference that centers around the black experience and the black narrative. And Mm. 10 years ago, we had over 500 people. The panels were all black. The uh, speakers were all black. And for the first Uh time you were getting that black experience. And so, um, Black Urban Growers continues to to function. As a matter of fact, we're going into our 10th year. But there's so many organizations, Black-led organizations that are out there that are are doing the work. And so um, if you reach out to Black Urban Growers, we will definitely connect you with different organizations throughout the country. My main emphasis at this point in time is really um, working on a Black Farmer Fund. A Black Farmer Fund in New York State. And I say that, Marcus, because out of 57,000 farmers in New York State, according to the 2017 census, only 139 are Black. So this fall, I've been working on a book for three, four years now. It's called The Rise. And it really will talk about, you know, the authorship of Black chefs and Black writers in terms of food in this country. And we really, the one of the cornerstones of American food. Talk to me about farming because we came here to farm, right? And we did the farming. How come something like is so core to us was taken away? And where are we on that? Is black farming on the rise again? Just give us a little bit of past, present, and future. Marcus, I'm so glad you asked that question because for me, my history was stolen from me. As a young child growing up, if I was to say I was a farmer, it was like, what? You doing slave work? You working for the master? And so as an adult, when I realized the true history of this country is that why were we brought here? We weren't brought here because we were dumb, we were strong. We were brought here because of our knowledge of agriculture. Seeds in our hair. Mm. We were the ones that planted The food that you're eating now, we were the ones that did the crop rotation, the irrigation. We were the ones that developed the tools that you see today. And once you start putting that history into young black and brown young people, all of a sudden they understand their participation 
in this American experience in history, at a time right now where we're trying to correct history, not rewriting, and food and culinary experiences are one, two things that have been co-opted. The framework has been around a white experience. No. The framework has to be around the black experience because we were the ones in the kitchen yeah. and we were the ones in the field. And so let's get the history correct so that when we talk about America, we will talk about the experience of the black experience as part of the American experience, which you see happening now. So when you say is black farming uh, increasing, I would say at one point it is in terms of the involvement of young black and brown women who want to farm. However, again, there is limited resources and limited access to land, which we continue to try and, 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 and voice out loud that if we are going to be part of the American agricultural system, like I said, 139 black farmers in New York State compared to 57,000, we need to start putting emphasis in building resources and land into and have that opportunity for young black and brown men and women to obtain land, to have resources. And the bottom line is opportunity. The soil in the Bronx, right? You think about this as an urban canvas, as a place where uh, so much of culture and street culture come from. But is it great soil? Where in the Bronx is it good to be a farmer? A lot of the soil has to be remediated. For instance, my garden, half of the soil, my garden is 33 years of age now. So in the very beginning, most of that soil was taken out, barrier put down, and new soil was brought in. Over 30 years, we have really worked on health, soil health by putting in compost. My mm-hmm. garden, my community garden is three quarters of an acre. So you, you can imagine how much uh, debris in terms of green and brown debris to yeah. use to build for, for compost. So we're in a better place in terms of soil um, health and, 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 and building up the soil. And also each year we get a truckload, continue to get a truckload of compost from the New York Botanical Garden, which is really, really nice. instrumental in nice. helping us. And also with green thumb. So we don't grow directly in the soil. There's a barrier and soil is brought in. What about modern techniques like hydroponics and so on? Is that something that happens in urban uh, farming and urban gardens as well? I'm glad you brought that up because when we talk about the experience of urban agriculture, there's certain facets. What I don't like is when you have one area that says, you know what, we are the end all and the be all. So when we talk about maybe rooftop garden, when you talk about hydroponics, aquaponics, they're all part of the urban agriculture experience and no one can stand alone. And so I want to get people to, 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 to understand that because um, what I've been hearing is that one sector would say, well, we're better than the other, you know, um, you can't grow food in the ground, you know, in, in, in order to feed people. Well, well, look what is happening now, because those same people who claim that they can grow in hydroponics, aquaponics, are not feeding the world, not feeding the country. And so let's get it straight. When we yeah. use the term urban agriculture, there are yeah, different right. facets of agriculture. The bottom line is, how do we grow food to feed people in the greatest country in the world where we grow enough food, we waste enough food, that food is not getting down to the people that need it the most, and we have 
over 40 million people in poverty. That's mm -hmm. an outrage. That's an yeah. outrage because we do have the food to feed our people. Yeah. Why yeah. isn't it happening? Upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. What is La Familia? What is La Familia to you? So La Familia Verde is um, started, gosh, maybe 20 years ago. So La Familia Verde, which means the Green Family, is a group of community gardens that came together to start a farmer's market. We first did a coalition to really talk about garden preservation because in 1998, when Giuliani tried to auction off community gardens, different organizations throughout the city came together to stop the development. So far we have, we saved over 400 community gardens, which we have in New York City. And we continue balance between development and open space, especially in a metropolis where there's issues of housing. And so we took it a step further and looked at our community and said, what is missing? And what's missing was the farmer's market. Yeah. So we're going to our 18th year when people said you can never do a farmer's market in a low-income neighborhood, especially in the Bronx, because they're not going to come. Poor people are not going to pay for a good quality food. Poor people 
People don't want to be around poor people because they live in dangerous communities and the farmers are not going to come because it's too far. And so we looked at those three points and said, well, if it's too far for farmers, how come they come to 14th Street because they got to go through the Bronx and Harlem to get there? <laughs> how come when they say it's dangerous, these are the communities that are being gentrified? And if you look at collectively, people in poor neighborhoods collectively spend more money on food per capita than any other group. And yeah. so it's been a... It's, 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 it's been a world of love for my community. We started last week where we gave all our food away free. Mm. All our food away free at our mm. farmer's market mm. because we want, in this COVID environment, we want people to know that we are here to feed you and to make sure that you're getting the best quality producers out there. How has, how has COVID um, impacted your community? I mean, Obviously, I live in Harlem, and it's been a huge impact on my community here. And you're only the Bronx is only 10 minutes bike ride away. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, the thing about it again, when we talk about race and racism and Black Lives Matter, you can see the effect that COVID has on Black and Latino communities. We're the ones that are dying the most. We're yeah. the ones that are on the line getting the food boxes and food pantries. And so when we talk about the essentials, Marcus, I say we can't go back. This is an eye-opening to a disease that all of a sudden has put a pause on the forward movement of, 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 of economics, of politics. We can't go back. I say, you know what? Mother Nature says, wait a second. Y'all going away too far. Because during the COVID experience, all of a sudden, the air was clearer. Yeah. The waters were better. People all of a sudden that hustle bustle were contained to their homes to really look at the family structure, look at mm -hmm. their community at large. And so as we move forward, again, we cannot go back. When we talk about the essential workers, we now have to understand how each and every one of us plays in this sort of motion of how we deal with ourselves in society. And so for me, uh, again, It brings to the surface the inequality in our food system, the inequality in our wealth system, and how are we going to handle it? How do we move forward for the next generation of people? You know, I think that you've been doing this for a long time. Is it harder to keep doing it, or was it harder to start in 1985? And the landscape has changed, or has it? Or have we gained a lot? You know, you have a perspective on this that very few have. So. Tell me a little bit where, where you feel like we're at right now. Well, you know, I've been doing this over 30-something years, and you know what? I feel optimistic and hopeful because all of a sudden, look what has happened with Black Lives Matter. Look at the young people yeah. coming out. You know what I'm saying? I remember the Civil Rights Movement because my parents were involved in the Civil Rights Movement back in the 60s. And now you see a young generation that they're not going to take it. They mm -hmm. want the truth. You know, they want to be heard. And so as a elder, because now they call me Mama K now, and I embrace that because as an elder and as a leader, you have to know when to step back. Mm -hmm. You planted the seed. Your voice has been heard. Now you step back, you mm -hmm. listen, and you help. That's wow. where, where, where I'm at now. So like I said, I'm very, very hopeful Um, I don't think uh, a lot of these things that was happening now could not have happened if the elders did not plan to see for the young people's voices to be heard today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is there a 
in terms of the urban farmer movement, is there, where do you draw inspiration? Do you draw from Jamaica, from California? Uh, is it, is there another city or a place that we should look at that is doing this better than us? Because I'm always, I travel and I always want to know who's doing a great job or something. Who can you learn from? Yes. Yeah, so first of all, in New York State, you can learn from Soulfire Farm, yeah. the Panaman who wrote Farming While Black. Um, very, very good um, organization that's really working on um, dismantling racism in the food mm-hmm. system. The work that's happening in Detroit with my 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 brother uh, Malik Yakini, um, and with the uh, Detroit Food Network system that's out there that he's doing the work, which is really, really excellent. Work that's being done in Chicago, um, mm-hmm. so in in Oakland and in Baltimore. So these are are places where we sort of work together and have that sort of experience because we know what it is to be able to work um, in urban agriculture into cities. And, you know, at one time, uh, Marcus, there there was a thing called white flight. When we were first starting these growing food in these empty lots, people left. People Mm -hmm. left because they think, oh, it's going to be crime. But now these are the communities that people want to move back into. Yes, yes. And so now you see this movement of gentrification happening around urban agriculture. So we got to be very careful on how we balance the need for green space and the need for development. Because at the end of the day, we're not going to go anywhere. and We're going to continue to fight for these spaces. Where I draw my... my, um, inspiration is knowing my history. I know for a fact that I stand on the shoulders of kings and queens, that when I look at the color of my skin, it's the color of soil. Mm -hmm. That I know as as a history of agrarian people that I have the DNA of agriculture within me. You know, and and to find that out, it, it, it empowers you. It makes me feel powerful that I can read about George Washington Carver and Fannie Lou Hamer and so many people who came before me that had been in the trenches. And so that's where I draw my power from, James Baldwin. Yeah. I draw my power from these people that for so long have been really at the forefront of racial uh, equity uh, in this country. You told me about, maybe this is going back 20 years ago, it's a bunch of women in your community that set up sort of like communal cooking. You were watching each other's kids and you did communal cooking. So that idea for me, that co-op, that, that level of having many aunties that could, you know, check on the kids and so on. How, how was that set up? Was it just a, a bunch of friends? And, and Because I think it's such a powerful thing of, of, of sharing. And it goes back for me to South African words that's being called Ubuntu. Right, where you really strive to be meaning something in the neighborhood, and and if you have good Ubuntu, that's what you work towards, and you know means you never have to lock your doors, and you, someone is always watching your kids if you need to. So in the Bronx, we have this thing called the Big Sancocho, which mm-hmm. is really, really we have it every year, and what it is is that everybody within the Bronx is open up to the Bronx. You bring a little something to add to the pot. Yeah. And so everyone brings something from their culture. And the thing about it, what it is, is that when you bring from your culture, you talk about your culture. Yeah. What is it to grow up in Mexico? What is it to grow up into various Latin American countries? What is it to grow up to in Caribbean countries? What is it to grow up into Africa? What is it when you bring that piece of, of herb or produce, 
What is the message and story behind it as you enter that into that pot and you stir that pot? And as you stir in that pot, you're sitting around and hearing people's stories. Because I think this is why community garden is so important. And, and when you look at the word community, it's about the storytelling. It's about to be able to listen and, and hear like, oh, so in Mexico, you grow the papalo papiche. So what is that all about? Or oh, in Jamaica, you do the kalalu. What is yeah. that about? Or oh, in Puerto Rico, you do the cilantro. What is that all about? Or oh, in the Southern Black, you do the collard greens. Yeah. And so again, having those conversations are so, so important. The advice I always give to young people, and I said, you know, I said to them, I said, if you are lucky to have your grandparents and great-grandparents, take out those Samsung Galaxies and those iPhones and have them talk about their experience growing up farming. They didn't go to a grocery store. How yeah. they got that chicken or that hog and how they went and, 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 and you know, and, 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 and delivered that as a meal. Well, Miss Karen, we say Queen Karen and Mama Kay, uh, we thank you. You are an icon for us and you're an example. And I can't tell you how important it was to get you on this moment. There are some amazing chefs that's going to be on the program as well. Miss Naisha Arrington from um, uh, Los Angeles and Sophia Rowe. And we were all talking about you at Urban Farm. So thank you for setting the example for us in the standard. Thank you so much, dear. We appreciate you. Thank you, Marcus, for continuing your friendship and my invitations for you and your staff. Come up to our farm and do some work. Okay, we'll do that. We'll do that. Thank you. All right, folks, that's it for this week. Marcus and I will be back in seven days. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultrasoft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 